crew, how we doing? Lots of us here. Feels pretty cold in here, right? We thought for those of you coming for your first time that coming in anxious and a little scared wasn't enough. We thought it would be funny just to turn up the heat on you so you're nice and sweaty around all these people you don't, you don't know yet. So not true. Uh, we hope uh, 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 next week we'll do better with this. Apparently the, uh, the building was, the heat was on before we got here. So someone else thought it was actually funny to pull that prank on us. So we'll get them next week and hopefully it'll be uh, 20 degrees cooler in here. But um, I don't know if you noticed, Jalen and I were kind of coordinating outfits. You notice that black top? Yep, there it is. Where it go? Speaking of outfits, let me show you this one. Um, this is from my college years. Uh, this was my senior year of college. My roommates and I, it was a struggle every year to figure out what to go for on Halloween. And then at one point, we decided, why not go as crayons? Well, we thought that this was a great idea up until the night before Halloween. And all of my roommates started getting cold feet about it. They didn't feel very cool uh, dressed up in blue and pink and I don't know. It wasn't like Jack Sparrow or something like that. So they started feeling like their swag, swagger factor was like on the line and they were ready to back out. But I said, no, we're doing it. It's happening. Well, we get dressed up and as we're leaving our house, we're walking on to what is known as Mill Street. And on Mill Street, all of the biggest fraternity and like party houses are all along this entire street. So you just have college students lined up in the front, holding their natty lights in hand. By the time we're walking out there, they probably got drunk like six hours before at noon on Halloween. It was a big deal on our university. And I actually started, I felt my heart starting to beat a little bit. Cause we, and then my, my roommates were like, we're, we're going to get beat up. Like, they're going to throw beer cans at us. They're going to, like, mock us. Um, I, you, I don't, I don't want to draw a whole lot of attention to this. Some of the clothing was just a little too form-fitting in different areas. We felt really self-conscious about ourselves. Well, we turn the corner. We're on the street. We see the first house, and it was like the frat guys immediately just felt our presence, and we're just like, <laughs> and we stop, and they're like, yo, I love that red crayon color, man. Let's go. And then they all started like yelling about what their favorite color crayons were. We went from feeling like we're going to be zeros to heroes. We were like the heroes of Halloween. People wanted pictures with us. Um, there were pictures I was like, oh, my gosh, if my mom sees me like with that person wearing nothing, like this is going to be really awkward. Um, that was Halloween for me. Uh, I don't have a transition. But, hey, this is my family. Um, this is my wife. We, we've moved past that chapter of my life. Here's the current chapter of my life. Uh, this is my wife, Amy, and uh, our two boys, Lucas and Liam. And uh, Amy and I get to serve as the team leaders with crew. This is a picture of us at BJ's Velvet Freeze this summer. Um, if you haven't been to B who's been to BJ's Velvet Freeze yet? Okay, let's go. You, it's an experience. You got to go. You got to go. You're like, is it really good? Eh, but you got to go. Like, you just got to do it, okay? Um, but then this is our extended family. I mentioned we're the team leaders with crew here. So this is, this is our staff team family. Every year we get a nice glamour family shot together. Um, so this is our last year's shot. There are new people on our team that aren't here. I thought about photoshopping them in, but we'll just get them in a few months. I'll show you that glamour shot when we get it. But um, the crew staff, we are here just to serve you guys. Um, it's our, for us, it's our joy and privilege just to get to, um, get to be, have the opportunity to spend the best part of our day getting to come alongside college students, uh, wherever you're at, to try to share with you about what Jesus has done, um, who he is, why he matters, and why we really believe he's worth following. 
And that's really why we're, we're doing this series, Things Jesus Said. We want to spend the next several weeks seeing what Jesus has to say about a variety of different topics that I, I think you'll find really relevant. And one of the fun things about getting to hear what Jesus says about different things is his take isn't often our take. What he says is sometimes not what we expect. So tonight I'm excited because we're going to talk about the topic of rest and look at what Jesus has to say about rest. Anyone enjoy rest? Who doesn't? We, li- we love rest, right? I'm, I'm wondering, when you picture rest, uh, what is it exactly that you picture yourself doing if you're resting? If you were just to go try to like, imagine the most restful environment, uh, image, what would it be you're imagining? Perhaps you're laying on a beach, you're sipping a special drink, uh, maybe you're in a Eno hammock somewhere, like up in the mountains, uh, perhaps you're curled up on a couch in a blanket by a warm fire, which that sounds terrible right now with how hot it is in here, but you probably all have these images, but uh, you know what I picture when I think of rest? I actually picture this. How many of you recognize what this is? Okay. Unless you're a farmer or you grew up in Rush, Colorado and you grew up around farms, you, you probably don't know what this is. Uh, this is called a yoke. A yoke. And a yoke is this wooden frame that is used to join animals together like this. It's used to join animals together, and it enables them to pull something heavy. And so the Bible actually makes over 50 different references to yokes throughout its entirety. Uh, Most of the time when it's talking about a yoke, you can get rid of the couch, Josh. Um, Most of the time when it's talking about a yoke, it's not talking about it in a literal way. It's talking about it in a figurative way. Sometimes it talks about it negatively, and other times it talks about it positively. And in the Bible, it's, it's this image oftentimes of service or even subjection or bondage, and it's often used as an image of two things coming together. And like I said, sometimes used negatively, sometimes positively. But in the passage that we're going to look at tonight, Jesus is going to talk about a yoke paradoxically. He's going to take this image of a yoke, and it's this symbol of labor. It's this symbol of bondage. And he's going to invite us to put on his yoke. And he says that his yoke, it is light, it is easy, and it will actually give you rest. Rest, even so far as resting your soul. And so turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 11. Elena mentioned there's Bibles on the table. If you want to grab one, turn there. If you don't know where Matthew is or where the number 11 falls, um, you can turn to someone next to you and say, where is Matthew? No shame in that. Just ask someone, where is Matthew? If you want a, if you want a ballpark, Matthew's somewhere like three quarters in. Three quarters in. But Matthew chapter 11, 
as you turn there, let me pray for you. I'll pray for me. Father, I, I pray that you would be with us um, right now. And I pray that, uh, that the time that we spend together right now that this wouldn't just be another thing that we're doing this week. Um, Lord, as your word is opened, we expect you to speak. Your words, these are words that you spoke, Jesus, and I'm asking you, Father, that you would speak to us right now. That Holy Spirit, you would give every man and woman ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and a heart, perhaps, that would even join in. And that's the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit, and so we ask that you would do it. I ask God that you would help me um, to speak in a way that is understandable, and clear, and true, and what needs to be said in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 28, looking at three verses tonight. Matthew 11, verse 28, here we go. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I've been preparing to, to talk about this tonight, I came across a Bible commenter who said that this, these three verses, these three verses take you to the very heart of Christianity. Like if you want to know what the Christian faith is all about, this is it. This is it. It's all right here. So if you're here, you're not a Christian, or if you're maybe new, or you're just exploring things, here's the good news is um, this is a really great introduction to what the entire Bible has to say and what Jesus is ultimately inviting every single one of us into. And so that whole message can be found here. And if you are a Christian, you feel this heaviness in your life. You feel burdened. You feel tired, as I often brother and sister, what's here for you is the reality that you and I don't fully understand or appreciate the existence of all the things that we have in life. And there is something that our king lays before us here and that he's inviting us into so that we are free from this weariness that we carry with us often every day. And he wants to lift us up. So tonight, what I want to do in our short time together is I just want to look at three lessons, really, three things that Jesus is going to teach us about rest in this text, all right? So three things, you got the outline in your head, there's going to be three things. I'll tell you right up front what they are. Jesus is going to tell us why we need rest, then he's going to tell us what rest is, and then how to get it. So why, why we need it, what it is, and how we get it. And I'll acknowledge up front, um, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller was really formative for me, and as I prepared, and that outline is even coming from him. So 
Here we go. The first point Jesus starts off with is why we need rest. So let's look back at verse 28. Jesus says there, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, he says. Here's the first question that we need to ask is who exactly is Jesus talking to here? Is he talking to just a subset of people or is he talking to everybody? Is he talking when he says all of you who are weary, is he just talking to a select group of people? Because you might be sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would say I'm weary or I'm burdened. I mean, just had my first week back on campus. I played about 30 games of spike ball this last week. Like, I don't know that I would be like I'm super burdened right now. Um, I'm living my best life. I'm in college now. I got to delete Life 360 off my phone. My parents don't even know where I am right now. Um, they can't track me. They don't follow me. I don't have curfew anymore. Life is amazing. Uh, that might be you. Uh, for others of us, you might be thinking, well, I don't know that I feel like I'm living my best life. Um, things could be better. But I don't know that I'm quite like, as far as where I would say I'm weary and I'm burdened, right? I feel normal. I'm relatively happy. I'm relatively healthy. But if you're thinking this way, then you're kind of hearing Jesus' words in kind of a modern emotional, self-fulfilling way. Because Jesus is actually talking about something different than just your emotional state. Who is Jesus talking to? You. Me. All of us. That's who he's talking to. He says to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, why is it that you and I, why do we need rest? Every one of us is trying to live up to a certain standard. Meaning, we all live life on this treadmill of performance in some way, shape, or form. And it doesn't look the same for every one of us, but there is a standard that you are trying to reach, you are trying to achieve. It might be to please your parents. It might be to be to impress your professors. It might be to do things that will impress your potential future employers. Heck, a lot of us even try to spend time impressing people we don't even know or like. And we do it on social media. And we live in a day and a time where our identities are performative. Meaning your identity isn't something that you just have. You have to act it out. You have to earn it. You have to achieve it. You have to demonstrate that you are the thing that you claim to be. You have to achieve it through good grades. You have to achieve it through your paycheck, the car you drive, the resume building that you're doing, the social media following you have. You have to demonstrate it by working out and fitting into that thing or being this size. It's performative. And it's a heavy yoke. But many of us not just think about our identities and building those, but many of us feel the fact that we're not what we should be. We should love others more. We don't. We know we should be selfless, but we're often just 
incredibly selfish. We gossip about people. We slander them. We steal. We lust. We get drunk. We look at that on the internet, and we go far, farther than we should have gone with him or her. And we carry the yoke of guilt and regret on our shoulders. But we also carry the of performance because we're always trying to prove ourselves. And lots of us also, we carry the yoke of grief. We carry the griefs of people that have died in our lives. We've had horrible things that have been done to us. And we've often maybe even done terrible things to others. And we carry grief and guilt what do we do? We, we carry that yoke on our shoulders. We have it around our neck, and all we do is try to press on, pull, find a way to find happiness. And these are some of the reasons why we need rest. The rest that Jesus is talking about is rest from this deep spiritual weariness that we all have. And it's true of every one of us. Because every one of us has a yoke that we're pulling and we're carrying. And Jesus is inviting you and I to come to him and to find rest that he alone can provide. And so we ask the question, and this is the second thing that Jesus is going to talk about, what is the rest that he's offering? What is the rest that he offers? The second point, we'll pick it back up in verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus invites us to come to him to find rest, and what does he tell us to do? Put my yoke on you. Wait, the invitation is to find rest? And you're saying, i got to put another yoke on me now? I mean, what you would probably maybe expect Jesus to say, if you didn't know what verse 29 was going to say, is that he would say something like, you should believe in me, worship me, pray to me, and I'll make your troubles disappear. I think that's what a lot of our hearts think Jesus will do for us. If I follow you, my troubles go away, right? And yet the invitation of Jesus to each one of us is, come to me. I'll give you rest. Put my yoke on you. He's inviting us to put another burden on. But it's a different burden. It's his burden. Tim Keller would even call it a restful burden. Why? Why is it a restful burden? Well, Jesus tells us himself. He says, because his burden is easy. It is light. That he himself is gentle. He's lowly in his heart. And he promises every one of us, if we come to him, rest for our souls. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he's essentially saying, be my disciple. Be my disciple. That's what that means. Take my yoke upon you. Follow me. 
be my disciple. He is inviting us into discipleship with him. And so the rest that Jesus offers, it's not available to people who just want to use Jesus like an app on their phone. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of, when you need him, when you got that special, need a little boost on that exam or need to get some extra courage before you attempt this or whatever. That rest that Jesus is talking about, it's just not available to us if we're just going to treat him like an app on our phone that we just open when we want him or need him. You see, you can't have the rest of verse 28 if you're not willing to put on the yoke of Christ in verse 29. That's part of why he says to us, learn from me. To be a disciple, that word literally means learner. Learn from me. There is, and don't miss this, there is no such thing as being a Christian that doesn't follow Jesus in discipleship. There's just no such thing as that. Uh, There is no coming to Christ, there's no rest from our burdens or rest from our weariness without discipleship. And I think it's important for us to say in our day and age, because it's really common for people to claim to be Christians, when really they're just kind of churchgoers. Or they got the Bible app on their phone, they're like, Christian. But you see, the Bible knows nothing. It knows nothing of you believing in Jesus and not following him in discipleship. It knows nothing of that. There is no category biblically for being called a Christian if you have no intention of submitting your life to him, putting his yoke on you, and submitting all of life to him. That's actually what a Christian is. It's not someone who merely believes in Jesus, asks him forgiveness. No. It is someone who loves him and lets the yoke of Christ come on their lives and actually puts limits on how they live and what they say to him. You tracking? Now, this is the invitation that Jesus gives. He says, take take my yoke upon you. Become my disciple. The invitation is, give up the yoke that you're carrying. Give it up. Let it go. Give up your right to live the way that you feel like you should live. Give it up and come to me. I promise you rest. I'm gentle and lowly. And this burden, the burden, my yoke that I'll put on you, it is I think for a lot of us, this idea of letting up control, we like the idea of Jesus being our, like, get-out-of-jail-free card guy, don't we? Like, forgive me for the dumb things I've done. Yeah. If I were God, that's what I would do. I would do that. But then this idea of, like, but God having control of my life and telling me how to live, I'm not so into that idea. I mean, we're Americans. This is America. Uh, We believe in freedom. Uh, Freedom. Thanks, Jason. I mean, I get to do what I want when I want. That's what being an American is. We're all about it. And our culture encourages that as well. It would discourage you from saying, don't ever let someone else be the master of your life. Don't let anyone ever tell you what to do. That's slavery. 
That's not freedom. That's the opposite of freedom. Freedom is flourishing. Man, I didn't, like when I think about my own story, can't get into all of it. Well, I'll at least put it this way. When I looked at Christians, I was like, I want nothing to do with that. I thought that looked like the worst kind of lifestyle imaginable. A lot of times because they had really crappy movies that they watched. Um, still think that. I don't watch them. I don't watch them. Not going to, do you invite me? No, not going. Not going to watch them. No ju- judgment if you do, but just not my thing. Uh, but, man, before I was a Christian, I really did. I had this idea of freedom. I thought freedom was doing whatever I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. It was not working out for me, though. Like, I found the more I actually gave myself over to the appetites I had, actually the more enslaved I really felt. Have you felt that? That as you give yourself over to your impulses or your desires, that actually rather than feeling more free, you feel less free? Eventually I came to have faith in Jesus. But I still was pretty reluctant. I, again, I liked the idea of him forgiving me for the things I felt regret about. But I wasn't so eager and excited about giving my life over to him. Because there were parts of my life I just felt like, I don't like this. This is awful. But I actually decided to start to give him a chance to work. And actually put his yoke on me and actually have his purview away from those things that I wanted to do. And the most unexpected thing happened. I thought I would feel more enslaved by Jesus. I I thought I would actually feel less freedom, more restricted, more uptight. I had felt more free under him than I had ever felt. He gave me a freedom I didn't even know I could have. And I don't know how to convince you of that other than just to tell you that that's what happened to me. And I could tell you that I know of other people who have brought their lives under Jesus' yoke and they have found the rest that he promises them. This is actually what he's inviting you into. There's a church father by the name of Augustine. If you don't know him, get to know him. But Augustine has this really famous saying. He was one of those guys that you want to talk about a dude that lived a like sexually promiscuous life that's Augustine did you say he was a church father I know because that's our history friends a bunch of broken people following Jesus well Augustine comes to know Jesus and at the beginning of his his um, kind of his memoir on his life confessions he says you and I were made for God you and I were made for God and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Like, whatever it is you're running after, even if and when you get it, even if it provides that rest or fulfillment you're looking for, you will eventually lose that thing. It won't actually provide the ultimate rest. Because don't forget, Jesus already has said to each of us in this passage, he said that all of us already carry a yoke on us. We're already burdened and yoked with something. The freedom we think we have isn't actually real because 
you and I always live for someone or something. That is true for every single person in this room. You are living for someone or something. And it's only a matter of asking, what is it? What is it that you are living for? What is it that you're yoked to? Because you see, unlike your career, if you fail, Jesus will actually love and forgive you. Your career will never love you back. Your employer will never love you back, particularly if you fail them. But Jesus will. He will love you and forgive you. Unlike your relationships, whether friendships or romantic, whether it's with a family member, Jesus will never abandon you. He will never leave you. Unlike your physical health, which, spoiler alert, won't last forever, you know how the story goes for humans? Run to the ground, every one of us. Unlike your physical health, will fail, Jesus promises you eternal life. He promises you life that will never end. And he actually promises to undo death for us, to bring us back. That's what he promises you. And so in Christ, when your health one day does fail, and I and when I sat in a room like this, when I sat where you were sitting, I thought when I heard the crew guys say stuff like that, I was like, yeah, that's 60 years out. I'm in my 30s and I'm already feeling the failures of this life. Not only that, but even five days after my wedding, my best friend died of a brain tumor. He sat with me right next to me in crew. It's where we met each other. So lest you think that this is like eternity away for you, it'll come. And for some of us sooner than later. And it's not a scare tactic. It's just the truth. You have no idea. You don't even know that you'll make it home tonight. You just don't know. And yet, that reality, whether that makes your, your heart beat a little harder or makes your blood pressure go up a little bit, Jesus actually invites us to trust him in a way, to put our yoke, his yoke on us to say, I'm okay. I can actually rest I can actually trust him. He's the only one that you can live for who can satisfy you. And he's the only one who can, you can, he's the only one who's worth living for. And it's the only way that you can ultimately find freedom and rest for your own soul. It's by taking on his yoke and making him Lord of your life. Life, rather. The yoke of Christ is a life-giving burden. That's why I put that image up, and I said, when I picture rest, what do I picture? And you thought, this guy's weird. But it's because it's the yoke of Christ that I imagine, and it is a life-giving yoke. That's what the Christian life ultimately is, friends. Well, let's wrap it up. The third and final point. We talked about why we need rest, what the rest is that Christ invites us into. But let's just ask the 
maybe the obvious question is, how do we get it? How do I get it? It sounds great, I want in, how do I get it? Well, for that, we're actually going to have to go back a few verses. Look at your Bible in verse 25. I don't have it up there, but I'll read it to you if you uh, don't have a Bible in front of you. Just verse 25, here's what Jesus said before what we already read. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babies. The things that he's talking about is things related to salvation. He says, these things have been how people are saved. These things are hidden from people who think that they're wise, that they're intelligent. Now, are you at, you're probably thinking, well, I'm, I'm kind of wise and intelligent. Is Jesus trying to hide things from me? Or, you know, you got something out for wise and intelligent people. No. No. But who is it that gets to receive salvation from Jesus? Who is it that gets the rest that he offers? It's, he says it's not the wise and the intelligent. He says it's little children, infants. Why? Well, Tim Keller, this pastor, he says, he says there's two characteristics about little kids that are the very two things that you need to become a Christian and receive rest. Two things that little children share in common with what every single one of us needs to become a Christian. And I see these two characteristics in my home and my little boys every day. I see it with Lucas. I see it with Liam. Here's the first characteristic. Just two of them. You have to admit that you are spiritually helpless. If you want the rest that Christ offers, if you want salvation, you have to admit that you're spiritually helpless. And I see this in my boys. They, you know, you, you couldn't even believe how many requests Amy and I get every single day from these two guys. My little kids, I mean, they light us up. It's like if their eyes are open, it's just requests coming out of their mouth. Dad, will you play with me? Dad, will you wipe my butt? Dad, will you get me food? Dad, will you get me milk? I mean, it's just like, it's just like, dude, I, you, even, you even know how to do what you just asked, and you're still asking me. Like, you just keep going. Dad, will you get my bike? Dad, will you turn on my show? Dad, will you do this? And it's just helpless. And there is a real way in which they are. They absolutely need mine and Amy's help. But they're helpless, and they are not afraid to admit it. Like, they're not like, oh, man, I hope, I, I hope Liam doesn't see me being helpless. He might not think I'm cool. Like, Lucas isn't thinking that. He's just like, yo, Dad, boom, 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 boom. Don't mind making my requests. And so you and I, <laughs> what it means is, uh, don't get to point to your accomplishments. You don't, you don't get to be proud before God. That's why Jesus says it's been hidden from the wise and the intelligent. They, they, don't think them, them, they don't think themselves as helpless or needy. But little children do. And Jesus says, for those of you who can admit your neediness, salvation and rest is, is a possession. All you Here's the second characteristic and the last one. The other characteristic that we need to 
sharing time with the little children. Because you have to believe that Jesus loves you. You have to believe that Jesus loves you, that he forgives you, that he rose from the dead for you, and that you can rest in his love. And here's how I see this in my little boy's life. Nearly every night when I put my little boy Liam to bed, I say, buddy, how much do I love you? Do I love you this much? No. I go, you love me this much. And I'll ask Lucas, I'll say, Lucas, why do I love you? Whatever chaos or madness has happened between me and my little boys that entire day, which I assure you has happened, no matter if I lost my temper and I raised my voice at them, they know that they know that they know that dad loves them. And Jesus It is not enough. It's not enough for you to know that you're a sinner and that Christ died for you. It's not enough. Like my son, you need to be little children in your posture towards God. You need to be sure of how much Jesus loves you and forgives you. You need to be sure. And let me just say about that real quick. It's not the feelingness that you need to, like, I can't always control whether I feel like God loves me. But I can control what I believe about his love for me. And sometimes there's just some people who are like, I just can't imagine God loving me. And I'm like, like, like almost you can't accept yourself. How could God accept you? And yet here, here God is in Jesus Christ. He goes to a cross and he dies in your how do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? It is not something you tie to how you feel in a given moment. It is that you look at the cross and you say, I know that he died for me. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while you and I were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That is your proof that God loves you. And it doesn't hang in the balance. It is not based on what you do. It is all entirely anchored to what Jesus himself has done for you. And so that you can know that you know that you know that God loves you. I'll wrap up by just saying this. Augustine, that sexually promiscuous, promiscuous church father whose life was transformed by Jesus. Augustine says this. He says, Jesus' yoke, Jesus' burden to us, is like the burden that feathers are to a bird. Jesus' yoke is like the burden that feathers are to a bird. Why? Because feathers really do weigh the bird down. 
And yet they're the very thing that enables birth and life. And so Jesus' burden on us, the fact that he invites us into discipleship, where he calls us not only to believe in him, but to obey him, to align our lives the way that he calls us to live. That burden is a life-giving burden. So that when we take on his yoke and we walk in his ways, we find life and rest and flourishing that we can find nowhere else. Tim Keller says that becoming a Christian isn't primarily about laying down your sin. You get that? He says becoming a Christian isn't primarily about laying down your sin. It's primarily about laying down your Maybe for you, it's common for a lot of people, maybe the thing that you've thought has always been the best symbol for being a Christian is a cross. Maybe you wear one around your neck. I would actually argue that the best symbol for being a Christian isn't a cross. It's a yoke. It's a yoke. Don't rely on a cross around your neck to tell others that you are a of us, God, that know 